you want to turn in your Bibles to Malachi, the fourth chapter, I want to read a verse of Scripture from there and talk to you this morning for the remaining time about the God of Christmas past, the God of Christmas present, and the God of Christmas future. And yes, I have unashamedly robbed that from Charles Dickens. One of my favorite Christmas stories, I thought, what better than to rob from uh, Mr. Dickens for a title for the sermon this morning, the God of Christmas past, present, and future. And if you need a Bible verse to, if you feel more comfortable with a Bible verse um, to associate that with, it's Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now we all know, and I'm not going to belabor the historical point of it most likely was not December the 25th when Jesus Christ was born. If you look at the um, historical evidence that's there, but I would be foolish to divert our attention away from what everybody's mind is on, and I hope it's on more than just presents and gift-giving and such, but upon the birth of our Lord, which is one of the most significant events in history. It's hard to rank the events that occurred in the ministry of our Lord, the birth, uh, His ministry, His death, His resurrection. It's, it's so hard to rank those things. It's all the significant uh, aspects of history that still apply to us today. So we want to read in Malachi, the fourth chapter, the last prophecy that was given about 400 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's read in Malachi 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." And the Lord turned the light switch of prophecy off. With those words, those were the final words for 400 years. The United States of America has not been here for, for that long. And can you imagine after having ongoing messages from the throne room of God through the prophets of God. And the Lord in his providence and in his sovereignty at that point with those words he turned it off. If you think about going to see the doctor and you are trying to get a prognosis for your future. You have some issue going on, and you want to know about your future. And so you go see, go see Brother Neil over here in Reform. And Brother Neil has uh, looked at your tests, and he has a, a future planned out for your medical prognosis. And so you've had an appointment, and you go to see uh, Dr. Honey. And uh, you sit down in the room there, as, as we often did with uh, Dad, uh, that Brother Neil was Dad's. Uh, doctor there for the last part of his life and so you sit down with brother neil and brother neil's got his papers there fixing to tell you your medical prognosis and he says oh wait wait just a minute um, i'll be right back and you're sitting on the edge of wanting to know what your future holds and brother neil says i got to step out i'll be right back and 400 years later he comes back you wouldn't even be here 400 years later that's what the lord does here he's given the prognosis of the spiritual future of his people. Not only the people of Israel, but for you today, even today, as we consider that God is very present and very real in all of our lives. But he steps out for 400 years. That would be somewhat disheartening if your doctor stepped out when he was fixing to tell you your prognosis. But understand, God's not bound by time. And if you want to look over in Luke, the first chapter... 
This is where we have God turning the light switch of prophecy back on. And not only of prophecy, but of things that are absolutely imminent. Things that are about, I mean, you talk about things ramping up and amplifying and beginning to move fast. And Luke, the first chapter, it just goes from nothing, no information for 400 years to the Lord turning that light switch back on and moving at a rapid pace. In Luke, the first chapter, it says, let's begin reading in verse 9. It says, according to the custom of the priest's office, Zacharias' lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him, Zacharias, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Those of you that have read this before and are familiar with it understand Zacharias, very much like Abraham, was an elderly man who was past his prime and not able to bear children anymore. And his wife had not only, she had just not been able to bear children, she had been barren. She could not bear children. She's not just past the age, she could not bear children. And so the angel of Zechariah says, your, your old wife is going to have a son. And that, I want you to notice all the shalls. He says, for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Count them with me. And thou shalt call his name John for, and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now right here in verse 17, that's eight shalls by the way. From what I can tell, there's at least one more in there in the first round uh, from what Gabriel tells uh, Zacharias. You talk about information overload after 400 years of of darkness and quiet. And notice in verse 17, the Lord, who like the doctor in my example, stepped out when he's about to give you his prognosis and comes back 400 years later. The Lord doesn't miss a beat. The Lord picks back up his train of thought that he had paused with 400 years before. And you try that sometime. Sister Tracy will ask me, no, uh, could you remind me of what, you know, so-and-so's name is, or I forgot this name, and I have to go, uh, I have to stop and catch my train of thought and get in the right file, computer file in my mind and pull that out. Okay, yeah, that's so-and-so. Or she may ask me, what about this, what about that, and I have to pause. The Lord never misses a beat because He is omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing. 400 years goes by and the Lord picks back up his thought through the angel Gabriel because this is the quote from Malachi in verse 17. It says of of the son that would be born to Zacharias and Elizabeth, he, John, shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Don't forget that right there because no name is given. It says he, John, shall go before him. Who is him? In the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom and to the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in this moment when the Lord comes back and begins to give this information to this old priest, he is picking back up where he left off 400 years before. You say there's no way a human could do that. That's exactly right because God is is more than human. (laughs) You see? If you could picture God in eternity... I love the time travel stories. That's always been my favorite. 
the mind bending, the, the mind twisting, you know, type uh, time travel and such. And God's not a time traveler, but He is the creator of time and He has created time for His own use and His own glory. And so God's not bound by time. So when He gives that prophecy 400 years before in Malachi, and He says that very verse right there, if you can imagine in, in, in a mind twisting way, in eternity, no time has passed. Because there's no time in eternity. That's a mind bender, isn't it? So it would almost be like the Lord says, uh, I'll send him in the, the spirit and power of Elijah. And he steps back. And then he steps back in 400 years later. But no time has passed in eternity. I can't fathom that. Now, Lord willing, we'll all fathom it. We'll all understand it one day. But no time has passed for God. He's just picking up right where he left off 400 years later. And so notice in verse 17, the angel, we know this to be Gabriel because the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias who he is. I always want to go off on the tangent here pointing out how insulting Zacharias was to the angel, to the message of God and what happens. But I'm not, I'm not going to be tempted to go off because I want to stay on track here. But notice it said, the angel Gabriel says that he, John, the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. If you want to know a little bit more about who that him is, you can go back over to Malachi, the fourth chapter. Flip, flipping back over into the Old Testament. Because it says in verse 5 of Malachi 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That word, the Lord, right there, tells you who he's referring to when he says he shall go before him. So literally, John the Baptist is going to go before the Lord. When the, before the Lord comes and manifests Himself, you're going to hear from this man, John the Baptist. You see, the God of Christmas past was foretold 400 years before Gabriel comes on the scene and brings this into a very present reality. 400 years before, it's in the past, and many, many centuries have gone by. And no doubt the people of Israel, as they did in the days when the Lord, before the Lord led them out of Egypt, no doubt they had waxed and waned in their, uh, their fidelity to the Lord and their faithfulness to Him, and they had uh, wondered, is He really going to do it? They, that's the human nature to do that. But the God of Christmas past becomes a very present reality as the angel Gabriel tells Zacharias, your son is going to go before the Lord. And if you want to know a little bit more about who this him is, he shall go before him. That, that God of the present reality of Zacharias as he stood there doubting what the angel said, turn back over to Malachi, the third chapter. And in the third chapter, it's a reference to John the Baptist again. It says, behold, the Lord says, I will send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. And he, John the Baptist, shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. You notice all these shalls. Don't you love the shalls and the wills? <laughs> but who may abide the day of his coming? You know, the Lord comes to that temple. That temple that was built after the years had gone by from Solomon's temple being destroyed, and people said, that, that temple's not as great as the first one. I saw the first one, and it wasn't as good as the first one. This temple that Jesus is coming to is greater than the first one because Jesus comes to it. You see, any place that Jesus comes to is going to make that place greater than it's ever been. And it says He shall come. So this reality of 
God who had promised all those years in the past to come. Now for Zacharias, this old man and his wife Elizabeth, he becomes a present reality in their life. Now, not only is this information revealed, and I always think it's amazing exactly who the information is revealed to, because he didn't go to the local congress or the local capital or the local king or the local despot or the local ruler. He goes and he tells an old man who's past the years of being able to bear a child, and he has a barren wife, that they're going to have a child, and that child is going to pave the way for the Messiah. And not only that, in Luke, the first chapter, we read where the the Lord uh, sends the angel Gabriel, the same angel. I tell you, this guy had a great job. This angel had a great job. In the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want you to see the information that is given to Mary. There has been no information given for 400 years. And what you've got going on here when it comes to Zacharias, when it comes to Mary, and the next one we're going to look at, it is information overload. I mean, it's just overwhelming. It's just overload. And all of a sudden, all of this becomes a reality because these things are transpiring now in, that, in their present. So it says that the angel Gabriel, I always like to picture that in my mind. There was, I think, a children's book that was written that, that detailed, of course, in a fictional way, the best way that a non-resident of heaven could depict it, <laughs> of the angel Gabriel coming to bring uh, this message and, and also coming, to bring, uh, coming along with the Lord uh, in, in the conception of the holy conception when Mary was conceived. And you could just picture in heaven, the Lord says, go. And the angel Gabriel goes to Zacharias to the temple in Jerusalem. And then a few months later, which no time has transpired in heaven, the Lord says, go. And here goes the angel Gabriel dispatched from heaven, zoom, straight down to the little house, the little humble place where Mary lives. And she's just an ordinary teenager living there, doing the things that an ordinary teenager of, of the, in these days of Judah would do. And she was in the house, it says, and the angel comes to the house And he speaks to her, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And she's afraid. And the angel tells her, Fear not, Mary, verse 30, for thou hast found favor with God. Now watch all the shalls again. (laughs) You can count them if you want to. But watch the information that is given to Mary. You know, the information given to Zacharias was you're going to have a son. And that son's going to go before him. And if Zacharias went back and poured over the book of Malachi and other places where he knew that reference came from, from Gabriel, he would have found more information about him. And now you talk about information overload. Here, the angel Gabriel looks at Mary and he says, behold, verse 31, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. She's a virgin. And bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. This is the first mention of that glorious name that is still known in your present reality today. Shall call his name Jesus. And watch this. He shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him to him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Can we say information overload? <laughs> Can you imagine she just being bombarded with heavenly information 
And it's, it's just overwhelming. It says that he shall be the son of the highest. He shall be great. He'll take the throne of David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Not just for a short period of time. Not just a revolt against the Roman government so that Israel could be reestablished. No, he's, he's speaking in forever terms. And child of grace, don't ever forget that you live in forever terms. This is just a temporary reality here in this world. This is just where you're passing through. And we lose sight of that so often. This little virgin girl, Mary, receives the greatest information that has been given in 400 years for sure, but I maintain that it's the greatest information that's ever been given to this point, period. Because the Son of God is about to come into this world. Turn back over to Matthew, the first chapter. The next place where we find this information is ramping up and the the timeline is beginning to speed up. In Matthew, the first chapter... You read where there was a man, let's look at verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, some time has passed and Mary has become uh, expecting baby Jesus because the Holy Ghost has conceived baby Jesus in the womb. Now remember, Jesus is eternal. He's always been. He has never not been. And for him to come and to take on flesh is a miracle and amazing. So remember, it's not Jesus coming into existence. It's Jesus coming in the form of a man. And so Mary is expecting a baby. And Joseph is a spouse to Mary. And you can imagine what was going through his mind. This woman that I'm supposed to be married to has been unfaithful. And she says, no, I haven't been unfaithful. And she goes, no doubt. And she says, the angel Gabriel. And when she got that out of her mouth, you know, Joseph was probably like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) The angel Gabriel told me that he, this child was going to be great. It's going to be the son of the highest. It's, he's going to take the throne of his father David, reign over the house of Jacob. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. And by the way, Joseph, he's going to be the son of God. And Joseph is going, oh man, she's lost her mind. See, no information has been given for 400 years. And Mary says, no doubt, I haven't been unfaithful to you, Joseph. I have not been with another man. And Joseph is going, this puts me in a bind. Joseph needs some relief, doesn't he? Well, he's about to get it. It says that Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. And notice it was of the Holy Ghost. But you can imagine the rumors that went around. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. This is Gabriel again in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a famous verse of Scripture right there. What a, what a hallmark of old Baptist doctrine and teaching. Of Christ's doctrine and teaching. He shall save His people from their sins. This little baby that is growing in the womb of Mary is the Son of God. Don't you know that was a relief for old Joseph? <laughs> now, whenever we were expecting all of our children at the different times we were expecting our children... I don't think a single time, because number one, we didn't know if we were having boys or girls. We didn't find out in advance. But if we, Sister Tracy and I had played, played this little game, if, if we had played this little game, and I said, okay, you write down a boy name on a piece of paper, and I'll write down a boy name on a piece of paper, and then we'll get them together, and let's see if they're the same name. 
uh, knowing what she was thinking about names or what I was thinking about names, boy or girl, we never hit the same name. And we came to agreement, obviously, on the, the name. Uh, we obviously prayed and thought about what our different options were. But we would have never written the same name, I don't think, on a piece of paper and said, this will be the name. Can you see Mary and Joseph, after Joseph has had this dream and this, this impression from the, uh, this message from Gabriel? You know, he comes to her and he's like, Jesus is the name. And she's like, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is the name. If she'd already told him or not, I don't know. But Jesus is the name of this child because the, the Lord said this is what we're going to. It don't matter if you got a nickname for him or if you want to call him something else. He's going to be named Jesus Christ. See? So this message that was given to Joseph was overwhelming. And notice it goes on. Now, I don't know if the angel directly gave him this message or not. I kind of think he did. But regardless, verse 22 says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, and this is Isaiah, the seventh chapter, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Have you noticed, aside from noticing how many shalls there are, have you noticed how important it is to the Holy Ghost to tell us the name of Jesus Christ? His name shall be called Jesus he shall be called, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Obviously, the significance of Jesus' name is important. Now, it's interesting if you ever want to do a study about the name of God, if you'll go through the Old Testament, you'll find several places where there is an inquiry about the name of God. Jacob in Genesis 32 and 29, as he wrestled with Jesus a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he wrestled with him and the dawn was breaking and the light was beginning to come, Jacob demanded to know the name of who he was wrestling with. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, why do you want to know my name? I think the Lord found that curious. Over in Judges, the 13th chapter and the 18th verse, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ in another pre-incarnation appearance before he came in the flesh, he appears to Manoah, not Noah, but Manoah, who was the father of Samson. And Manoah asked him, he says, what is your name? And the Lord says there, he says, why do you want to know my name? Seeing that it is secret. See? What did Moses do in Exodus whenever he was scared and worried about going back and leading the people out? He said, <laughs> almost sounds like he was being a little clever, doesn't it? So uh, what should I tell him your name is? <laughs> See, the name of God is Jesus Christ. But at that time, the Lord said, I'm not telling you that name. He says, you tell them, I am has sent thee. In Proverbs 30 and 4, it says this, the close of the Proverbs of Solomon. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Nobody could tell the name of God. Nobody knew the name of God. And you see the mystery of God appearing at this foretold time, the mystery of this was God is going to appear in the flesh of man. I cannot emphasize to you how important of a doctrine that is for the Christian. <laughs> because all of the other gods, false gods that were dreamed up in the minds of men no one could have ever predicted or ever even thought that the true God could actually do this. How could God 
ascend, excuse me, descend from heaven and be there with man when God is perfect and man is not. Well, nobody could ever figure that out, but it's going to be God taking on flesh. So the God of Christmas past was foretold and the Lord says nothing for 400 years and Gabriel gives all this information. He gives it to Mary, he gives it to Joseph, he gives it to Zacharias, gives it to a few others, but those are the three that we focus on. Nothing has been said, nothing has been given, and then they begin to give this information overload from God and he becomes a very present reality, does he not? And listen, the God of Christmas past, the God of Christmas present is still the God of Christmas present. You understand that? He's still the same God. So when that reality came to be, when the Lord came into the world as as a child and grew up to be a man and paid for our sins as was resurrected, it's like He paused the present. (laughs) You see? Because He still stands in that present reality as He was when He was resurrected. You see? He stands as He was three days and three nights after the cross. He stands now and sits at the right hand of the throne of God as He was when it, uh, successful and accomplished and resurrected. You see, he, it's like He paused the present and He continues to be the past, the present, and the future. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. The reason you know the name Jesus today, the reason the world around the world knows the name Jesus, regardless of the denomination or the particular flavor of Christianity that's out there, basically everybody in the world knows the name Jesus. And it's because God said it's time for me to reveal the name of my son. In Exodus 6 and 3, the Lord says to Abraham, he says, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by the name Jehovah, which is I am, that I am, he says, I was not known by them. See, Moses said, I want to know your name. He had always been known to those patriarchs as God Almighty. Now he's known as Jehovah. And for the rest of the time, he's known as Jehovah. He goes from God Almighty to Jehovah I am. And then in the days when Jesus comes, he goes from I am to Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. I am means the breathing one or... it's elsewhere it's translated as let there be. <laughs> That's really hard to describe, but it also means breathing he breathes. Nobody has to give God breath, you understand? He's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, and so when the Lord comes, he is the self-sufficient I am coming in the flesh. So I am Emmanuel, Jesus, and his name is revealed finally after all these years. Turn to Psalm 72. I couldn't get this psalm off my mind as I was studying this subject. The name of Jesus Christ is important to the Lord. The revelation of that name is important because it it ties us to the past. It, It has a direct present effect on us and it also looks to the future. Look at Psalm 72. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. Who are we talking about here? He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Watch all the shalls now and also look at the people that he's dealing with. He shall judge the poor of the people and he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. You hear that? 
past, present, future. He's going, his name is going to endure through the past and through the present and through the future. Throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. I tell you that even today, in the day and time that we're living in, that seems so dark and so troubled, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, he still has dominion from sea to sea. He is still on the throne. Nothing can change that. Nothing can alleviate that or eliminate that. He is on the throne. He is the past. He is the present. He is the future. He declared his own name of Alpha and Omega in the book of Revelation. And I don't care who's sitting in Washington on the throne. I don't care who's sitting uh, at the European Union. I don't care who's sitting anywhere in the world on some throne. Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus supersedes and overrules all power and authority. Past, present, and future. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before Him. And watch this, I love this. And His enemies shall lick the dust. (laughs) That means they're down on their face. Look at verse 11. Yea, all kings shall fall down before Him. All nations shall serve Him. For He shall deliver the needy when He cries. The poor also and Him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. And shall save the souls of the needy. I tell you, I believe this psalm ought to be renamed the shall song. How about that? (laughs) It's just shall this and shall that. Now watch verse 14. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in His sight. When the saints of God are martyred or when the saints of God pass from this life, it's precious in His sight. Watch verse 15. And He shall live. And to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually. And daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon. And they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. There it is. The name of Jesus Christ shall endure forever. What in the world kind of impact could that name have upon me? Here I am in backwoods Alabama somewhere worshiping where we don't even have Wi-Fi or cell phone coverage. How in the world could that name be significant to my past, my present, and my future? I tell you, it's because His name shall endure forever. When the names of men have passed off, off of this world, off of this earth, and whenever the, name, and the histories of men have faded into oblivion, I tell you, the name of Jesus Christ, the past, the present, and the future, it's shall endure forever that's how it affects you whether you got cell phone coverage or not those things don't matter cell phone coverage is going to pass away wi-fi is going to pass away all of the things of this world are going to pass away but the name of god jesus christ emmanuel god with us he shall endure forever His name shall be continued as long as the sun. You say, oh goodness, the church is fading. Or problems with the church. Or the the, the numbers don't seem to be growing or whatever. I tell you based on the authority of Scripture and based on the power of God alone that His name, the name Jesus Christ, shall be continued as long as the sun continues to hang in the sky. And men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be His glorious name forever. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, forever. And let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. You don't see too many double amens, but there's one right there. Amen and amen. That the God of Christmas past and the God of Christmas present and the God of your future shall endure forever. Notice David says the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. That was a pretty good one to end on, wasn't it? And that's where I end this morning. The God of Christmas past. 
He is the God of Christmas and day-to-day present forever. He is forever enshrined in flesh, resurrected and holy and perfect as He was three days and three nights after the crucifixion. The old favorite line in my favorite hymn says, When we see Him, we shall see Him wear that very flesh on which my guilt was lain, His love intense, His merit fresh, as though but newly slain. You understand, that's the power of the God of the past, the present, and the future. That's the power of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Nobody can dethrone Him. Nobody can pull Him down. He stands as God in the flesh. And He rules. And He reigns. Just because we don't see Him with our natural eyes right now, don't lose hope and don't lose heart. You see Him with the eye of faith. I believe that maybe we've seen Him with the eye of faith here this morning. Isn't it glorious to think of those shalls and wills? We don't have the ability to keep those promises, do we? But I'm so thankful that God was manifested in the flesh, walked the dirty streets of this world, and paid the price for our sins and sits ascended back to the right hand of God, telling us, He shall keep His promises. This is a God that is worthy of being praised and worthy of being served. And there's no better way to show Him your praise for Him than to become a part of His visible body here on this earth. We'll give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.